My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer and more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. Hello, everyone. This is Gail, a.k.a. Sunshine. Today, we have Ron Bai, a.k.a. Big Hoss, joining us around the campfire. Ron, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. So let's start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. And I always ask people to tell us one fun fact. Okay. It, it's a long story, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I spent most of my life in construction uh, general contracting, construction management. I ran several different organizations over the years. Uh, so my my background is project management uh, and and those types of things. Uh, and in fact, what led into my cancer experience, I was working physically in the field and honestly thought I had a hernia. Uh, I had a little bit of groin pain. Uh, it made perfect sense to me that right. it was a hernia. Uh, I went to the ER and uh, they couldn't find anything, uh, but suggested that I go to a urologist. I wasn't going to. Uh, I was <laughs> just going already made to this decision. You were just going to tough, tough it, it out and, and, <laughs> and go forward. Uh, but my wife and I had been married 11 months, uh, two weeks and five days when I was diagnosed. Wow. So we were nine days from celebrating our first wedding anniversary uh, when I was finally diagnosed. Uh, as I said, my wife made the appointment for me and said, be there. Uh, <laughs> I, I went to the urologist and it was a matter of minutes. Uh, in 10 minutes, he looked me in the eye and said, you have a problem. Wow. Uh, I was scheduled for surgery. Uh, I was admitted to the hospital the next day, surgery the day after that. Uh, and they came back and said, in fact, it was cancer. Uh, and it was an aggressive form of cancer. Wow. Uh, and uh, I went back to work. Uh, Wait, and, how soon did you go back to work? Uh, I think it was 10 days after surgery, I went back to work. Wow. Uh, and uh, the doctor's office called me at work and said, we'd like you to come in and talk about your prognosis and, and future treatment. I'm 20 years old. Oh, wow. Full of piss and vinegar. Uh, to me, it was take two of these and call me in the morning. Right. And I walked into that doctor's office and that was not what it was. Uh, wow. He looked me in the eye and said, I know of one patient with your pathology that lived. He oh said, my you gosh! Have a 
50-50 chance of living two years and you have a 5% chance of seeing your 25th birthday. Wow. Now, was your I, wife with you when- She was not with me. She was no. not, okay. Uh, I was at the, the doctor's office alone. Wow. Uh, and for whatever reason, within a matter of a couple of hours of being told you will not likely survive, I never again even considered that I wouldn't survive. I became so focused and so intense. I was a fairly intense young man anyway, mm -hmm. uh, but that really pushed me over the top. Uh, and I essentially shut down all emotions mm. uh, and shared very little with anyone. Uh, in terms of my diagnosis, my boss knew, obviously, right. uh, and uh, my family knew, but that was it. No you one never else. told anyone. Uh, and uh, I, after the, the initial diagnosis, uh, a month later, I was admitted to the hospital again. And I had what's known as retroperitoneal lymph node dissection, mm -hmm. uh, which is a pretty massive surgery. Uh, and they went in and removed 32 lymph nodes uh, from my retroperitoneum. Uh, and the pathology report says on visual inspection, all nodes grossly involved. Wow. Uh, when they did microscopic review, there was only one. Uh, so I had caught it early, mm -hmm. uh, which is extremely fortunate uh, because it was a very aggressive form. And quite frankly, probably within a month or two, I would not have been able to survive. Wow. Uh, it would have spread sufficiently uh, that they would not have been able to bring it under control. So your uh, diagnosis was... In the hospital was... For for it 10 was... days, that second surgery. Wow. Uh, and I started chemotherapy, uh, I think it was about a month after surgery. Uh, and I had an entire year of chemotherapy uh, every two weeks. Mm. Uh, made me violently ill. And that was at a time, 1975, mm -hmm. when they had absolutely no idea how to control or manage the, the side effects uh, or anything. And in, in fact, their whole approach was bring the patient as close to death as you can, and then bring them back. Wow. Uh, what kept me alive was that focus and intent. Mm. Uh, I would have chemotherapy on a Friday, and I was at work Monday morning. Uh, and I did that through the entire process. Wow. Uh, missed very, very little work throughout all of this. It was certainly a, a, a trying time. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the end of a year, I was in fact scheduled for two years of chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the end of the first year, I went to my oncologist and said, what's my prognosis right now? If I stop chemotherapy, right now and we find it in three months or six months or a year mm -hmm. what's different and he said nothing mm -hmm. we pick up where we left off and I said I'm done <laughs> and knock on wood 
it turned out to be a very good decision because had I gone through another year of chemotherapy, the long-term effects would have been orders of magnitude greater. Yeah. Uh, I, I do have issues, uh, but by comparison, they're, they're pretty minimal. Yeah. Uh, I have nothing at this point that's life-threatening. Several different things that impact my quality of life, uh, but nothing that that really is debilitating. So yeah, uh, that that's kind of my my cancer story. Wow! And uh, for a fun fact, I, I, I should have said this earlier. Fun fact: <laughs> uh, I played competitive amateur racquetball into my fifties. Awesome! Uh, and at the age of fifty-one, I played in the state championship. And lost in the semifinals to an 18-year-old kid. Bravo. I love it. <laughs> Score one for the old people. I love it. That's that is amazing. So this all happened over 30 years ago. Correct. Right? Over 50, almost 50 years ago. Almost 50 years ago. Have you had any reoccurrences? I have not. You have not. That is amazing. So they went from telling you one person had survived. Yep. And here you are 50 something years later. That is amazing. Yes. yes. Yeah. I, wow. I consider all of those years borrowed time. Yeah. And it, I'm sure we're going to get into this, but I, I have a feeling you're making, you have made the most of them. Well, the fact that you got to the semifinals of the state championships in <laughs> racquetball tells me that you're making the most of them. So you said that back then you didn't tell anyone over Correct. the course of the next however many years, did you start telling people or did you keep that secret to yourself? I kept that secret to myself for 30 years. Wow. Uh, I told no one in 30 years. I had a best friend of over 20 years. He didn't know. So what, I have a few questions actually. One, how, how did that impact you? Now, looking back at the time, maybe you, you didn't, think about it that way. But if you look back now at those 30 years of not telling people, what kind of impact on that did that have on you mentally, emotionally in that way? Sure. It, it had a very significant impact because essentially in order to do that, uh, as I said earlier, I shut down. I shut yeah. down all of my emotions. Uh, I really kind of felt like if I let any emotions out uh, and, and I, I, I generally talk about it is I took all of those emotions, put them in a box, locked them away. Uh, and if I opened that box in order to allow any kind of emotion, mm -hmm. I would have to deal with all of those emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's how and why I didn't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it really, it was uh partly self-preservation yeah uh, it was certainly uh partly denial mm -hmm. uh you know it was it was a lot of things mixed in there and and again keep in mind i was 20 years old yeah this was almost 50 years ago uh you didn't talk about cancer period mm -hmm. and you certainly didn't talk about testicular cancer as a 20 year old man definitely uh, not even though we all know it has absolutely nothing to do with sexual, there was always that connotation to it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so that's why I didn't tell anyone. 
So I'm curious what caused you to break your silence some 30 uh, years later. The 30th anniversary of my diagnosis was also my 50th birthday. Mm. Uh, and you kind of get retrospective at 50 mm -hmm. anyway. Uh, and I actually reached out to all of my doctors, the hospitals, uh, everyone that was involved and said, hey, do you still have my records? And they all said, mm, yeah, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, can I get a copy? And they all said, yeah, but be patient. I was going to say, uh, it might take, take a while. A time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they did. Uh, all of them sent me full copies of my records and I sat down and read them. Uh, wow. went through them uh, and started to research what they said. Uh, and of course, all of this made me relive it. Mm -hmm. uh, at that point, I'm opening the box. Yep. Uh, and Wide and open. starting to look at and deal with those uh, emotions, the, the, the fear, uh, the, the uh, why me, uh, all of those kinds of things mm -hmm. that I'm sure you can imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually sat down and wrote a short story mm. of what I remembered, uh, what I went through. Uh, and that was in uh, 2005. And I, during my research, uh, I came across what was then the Lance Armstrong Foundation mm -hmm. uh, and is now Livestrong. Uh, and they were hosting uh, an inaugural uh, summit, survivorship summit. And I talked with my wife a little bit about it and she said, go for it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I submitted my application to them and I really expected to be turned down. Uh, I expected that what they wanted were people that were currently involved in advocacy and, and those kinds of things. And I hadn't been. Mm -hmm. I, so I, I submitted it. Uh, I got an email sometime a little bit later. I uh, said the, the, the response has been overwhelming. Uh, we're sorry, but uh, you didn't make the cut. Hmm. And that made sense to me. Right. Uh, I was okay with that. And I think it was a week later, I got a personal phone call. They said, oh my God, we had a glitch in the, the computer software. We really, really want you to come. Uh, wow. You're one of the longest survivors that we know of. And so I talked to my wife about it and she said, go and you need to go alone. Hmm. Uh, she wanted me to face what I had gone through. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I did, I went. Uh, and I shared that little short story with, with a few people that I met. I became very close to a few people. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was the first time I had ever knowingly interacted with other survivors. Wow. Uh, I hadn't shared with anyone else, so they weren't sharing back with me. Right. Uh, and the experience was absolutely life-changing. Uh, it and and those that I shared my story with uh, told me, oh, you need to turn this into a book. This is this is an amazing story. You need to you need to do this, uh, and I did. Uh, it was published in two thousand nine. Wow! Uh, and it's the the story of my cancer experience, 
through all of that process, I realized that in order for me to heal emotionally, I needed to share my story. Yeah. And uh, obviously at that point, 30 plus years of a survivor, I obviously knew that people also needed to hear my story, that you can survive, you can mm-hmm. live a normal life uh, beyond cancer. Yeah. Uh, I founded a group uh, that uh, we developed and hosted a regional survivorship summit uh, in the Northeast. I was living uh, in the seacoast of New Hampshire mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, and again, that was another life-changing experience. And from there, uh, I've been involved with probably a dozen different cancer organizations. I've been a super advocate. I've been on Capitol Hill, uh, wow. done a lot of different things, uh, chairman of, of a couple of different uh, cancer charities. Uh, and it's it's been through that experience and sharing my story that I really was able to heal. Uh, mm-hmm. And to anyone uh, out there listening to this, that is a key. Mm-hmm. Uh, sharing your story uh, it is really cathartic uh, and will allow you to heal. Uh, you need to understand you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are millions of us out there and there are people that are thirsty to hear your story as well uh, in order for them to understand going forward. Yeah. Now, I mean, it sounds like you went from pillar to post, right? You didn't tell anybody for 30 years and then you're telling the world. What I'm curious <laughs> is how did you start telling people like your best friend or neighbors or people who had no idea? How did you go about telling the people who were closer to you? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I, th- I think there were a number of people that knew I was writing a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that spurned some some curiosity. Uh, the best friend of over 20 years, uh, as kind of a side note, he walked away from our friendship mm-hmm. uh, because I hadn't been open and okay. honest with him wow. over the years. Yeah. Uh, and I have not spoken to him in, I don't know, 15 years or more. Yeah. Uh, which is unfortunate, but yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and certainly that was part of the fear and in, in sharing as well. Right. Uh, is how are people going to react? Yeah, definitely. So I'm, you went to an Epic Experience camp. I'm going to take a wild guess and that you heard about it through all of your other. Yes. Activities. Okay. Which yes. one in particular? How did you hear about Epic? To be honest with you, I'm not sure. <laughs> I knew of Epic for a number of years. Okay. Uh, I, I knew that that you're out there. Uh, I knew generally what you were doing, uh, but I didn't know much of the detail uh, and yeah. so forth. I knew that you're in the Rockies, uh, week-long camps and, and that kind of stuff. So you finally applied at some point. And when yes. you did, what were your expectations? What were you thinking you might get out of it or hope you might get out of it beforehand? Sure. I was actually conflicted over it. Hmm. Uh, the, the reason that I applied 
I'm also involved with Testicular Cancer Society, mm -hmm. which sponsored a, a week-long camp, and that's the camp that I attended. Okay. Uh, and uh, I was conflicted as to whether or not uh, I would relate, uh, whether the other because... campers would be able to relate to me uh, more than me relate to them. Because, uh, because of the of age, my gap? age okay, and because of the the time lapse since I was treated, yeah, uh, the the treatments that I got are completely different than the treatments today. I'm sure, uh, and and so I had some concern. I expected that pretty much all of the other campers would be late twenties to mid thirties. Mm -hmm. uh, here I am. 68 years old. And, uh, you know, how is, how is that going to fit? Right. <laughs> and, uh, I had a discussion, uh, with, uh, Mike, the, the head of the testicular cancer society, uh, and talked to him about it and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that these guys will relate to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and his response was your story is timeless your story needs to be told. These guys need to hear your story uh, and what you will get out of it uh, is important to you as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went into it. I, I'm not sure that I had a lot of expectations mm -hmm. because of that, that concern over right. how is this really going to work? How am I going to relate? Uh, yeah. And, and certainly relating to me and, and vice versa was the furthest from the, the truth of, of what it would be. Uh, I had a, an amazing time, another life-changing experience yeah. uh, in hearing. And, and prior to camp, I could count on, on one hand the number of testicular survivors hmm. that I had uh, interacted with over the years. Uh, so it was very good for me to hear their stories of what's happening today, yeah. uh, to hear their fears, uh, to hear their concerns over what the future holds for me, uh, kind of a thing. Uh, so it was it was very cathartic. Well, and it's interesting. So these guys are all in their 20s, 30s. They're approximately the age you were when you were diagnosed and when you shut down. And yet here are these young guys sharing. How was that for you being, being there with them at that age where you were diagnosed and here they are openly sharing where you didn't, did it make you happy to see that they're open? Did it make you reflect back on maybe something you would have done differently earlier, or was it just awesome to be there with them? It was certainly all of those things, Gail. Again, it was important for me to hear them sharing their stories. Uh, at that point, I had been sharing my story That's a lot. True. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've done public speaking on it uh, and all kinds of different things. So I had gotten pretty comfortable mm -hmm. with sharing my story at that point. Uh, it is true that sharing my story in that environment with those guys brought me back to mm. when I went through it. I bet. Uh, so again, it gave me another opportunity to really reflect on that. And mm. I absolutely wish I had done it differently 
through all of those years. I wish yeah. I had been more open uh, and so forth. It was a cost to me mm-hmm. to shut down. It was a cost to my marriage to shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fortunately, I've, I've repaired most of, of those uh, issues uh, with my boys, with my wife, uh, awesome. all of those kinds of things uh, in, in the last few years since I've really been more open. That's awesome. What would you say is one thing you took home from camp that you, you've applied to your life now? Uh, I, I think it just reinvigorated me. At that point in time, I was on the threshold of retirement and what am I going to do now and, yeah. and some of those kinds of things. Uh, and so I was kind of unfocused uh, and, and kind of wandering a bit uh, and uh, talking with the other guys and, and, and going back in, in my own life. Uh, it really kind of gave me uh, a, a, a new focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am now fully retired. Congratulations. Uh, I am involved in, in several nonprofits uh, as well as doing some consulting. Uh, it's apparent to me through all of this that I can't sit back and do nothing. Uh, yeah. Retirement is, is not a good place for me. <laughs> uh, I need to be doing something. Well, and that's so awesome that you've found a place in the cancer sphere, so to speak, where you can give back. Now, I understand that you made a very important decision about three months ago or so, and I'm wondering if you can tell uh, our listeners about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Pretty much throughout my adult life, uh, every time I've gone to my doctors, oncologists, urologists, what have you, my question for them has always been, what could or should I expect in the future? Uh, the chemo drugs that you gave me aren't mm-hmm. good. <laughs> yeah, they, poison. <laughs> clearly done some damage. Uh, what can I expect? Yeah. And every single time, every one of them said, we don't know. We're learning from your survival. Wow. Uh, and so, although being a pioneer, if you will, uh, is certainly an interesting position. It also carries an awful lot of uh, anxiety and and unknown mm-hmm. uh, with it as well. Uh, so I've for a very long time uh, been trying to figure out uh, what what should happen, what what's next, what what should I expect uh, with no answers because there's been no research. Uh, There uh, is so little known about survivorship uh, and particularly long-term survivorship. uh, And through always wanting to learn something from my survivorship, uh, I began to look at it uh, and uh, think about how can anyone learn what survivorship is. Why does someone live and someone not? Mm-hmm. Uh, why does someone live 50 years beyond a cancer diagnosis when others do not? Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly through all of my involvements uh, in cancer organizations over the years, 
uh, I've lost a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. uh, and every time that's heart wrenching. Uh, and it's also survivor guilt that that kicks in. So I started thinking about it. And the only way that they can learn what really happened at a cellular level is to really look at organs and tissues and so forth and so on. Uh, and so I started doing some research on body donations. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are lots of programs out there that are essentially anatomical donations. Uh, you're used with medical students uh, so that they can dissect and so forth. Uh, what I lovingly refer to as dissect the frog. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I wanted. I wanted someone to learn why I survived. Mm. Uh, and I came across, there are several, but they are pretty limited at this point. Uh, and I reached out to probably a dozen different uh, medical schools and, and uh, cancer research groups and so forth. Uh, and came up with Stanford Medical School has uh, a rapid research uh, autopsy collaborative. And they do uh, full autopsies and uh, remove all the organs and so forth and so on without getting too graphic. Right. Uh, and uh, then turn those samples over to researchers uh, within Stanford, within other organizations nationally. And so I've come to the decision and I've, I've uh, established an agreement with Stanford to donate my body uh, when I pass away. Hopefully that will be a few more years. A ways but... from now, exactly. <laughs> so, so, in, so you are not going to be the frog, the dissected frog. That's correct. How is this different? Are they studying each piece of you, so to speak, specifically to see how chemo affected you and enabled you to live? What is the distinction there? It will obviously entail a lot of different research uh, components, uh, but that's that's the basic premise. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, they'll take the organs, slice and dice them. Uh, and look at things at a, a cellular level. Wow. Uh, I mean, we, we do lots with CT scans and MRIs right. and all kinds of things like that, but it doesn't tell you what takes place at a cellular level. And that's really where I survived. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there certainly were some damage to my organs, pretty much all of my major organs. So understanding what that damage is what the process is that created that damage and how they might be able to manage or mitigate that damage in, in other people. Wow. Uh, so my goal is to contribute to science, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to give some guidelines to those people coming along after me uh, to understand this is what you can expect. Uh, this may or may not happen, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone listening uh, is inspired by your decision and they are considering doing something similar, 
after they die and, you know, donating their body, what steps would they need to take now? Uh, certainly doing some research in the research autopsy. And, and you can go into Google, type in research mm-hmm. autopsy, and it will give you a whole list of different resources to, to check on. Uh, the the desire with that type of an autopsy is for it to happen as quickly as possible mm-hmm. after you you pass away. Mm-hmm. So it really should be a facility that's relatively close to where you live, yeah. uh, so that that timing can be managed uh, in in going for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, as I said a little bit earlier. I researched at least a dozen different organizations uh, and what I wanted to know from them was what is the research that you're doing and how do you envision me contributing to that research? Uh, Because again, that was the key to me. Right. I wanted to contribute to the science. Right. That's amazing. Wow. So if, I'm wondering if there is something I have not asked you that you would want to share with someone listening, whether it's a someone who's a survivor or someone who's a caregiver. Uh, is there anything that you would want to share that I haven't directly asked you about? I, I think that there, and we have kind of talked about these things, but but to kind of reiterate, uh, the important thing is to understand you're not alone and that it's a process. And the more you share, the more you will gain from that sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as I said, I wish I did that decades ago. Yeah. Uh, I'm certain that my life would have been different, better. Not that my life wasn't a good life as well, right. uh, but I, I know that it, it could have been better. Yeah. Uh, so no, you're not alone. Uh, and that there are innumerable organizations that can help you to understand what you're going through, uh, understand how to deal with that uh, loved one that is going through it, uh, et cetera. Uh, So don't be shy, uh, reach out. Yeah. Well, and you're living proof. It is scary to open that box, but you survived, right? Yes. You got through on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, the last question I always ask is marshmallows over a campfire, slow and steady or flame and crispy? Flame and crispy all the ah, way. Ah, you are a flame and crispy. I think I've had a string of slow and steady, so it's good to I, have. A... I live my life on the edge always. <laughs> perfect. That is perfectly fitting. Well, Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story about um, donating your body and also the emotional aspect and and the the benefit it's been to open up and to stop stuffing it in the box and i really Absolutely. appreciate your and i would up. certainly encourage anyone to reach out to me that that has questions or concerns they can reach out to epic and epic knows yep. how to get, get a hold of me uh and i would be happy to share one-on-one or whatever is, is desired definitely Thank you very much. And until the next time we gather around the campfire, keep living beyond cancer. Thank you. And you as well.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. For more information about Epic Experience and our programs, or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode. Father time.